Hello, I'm Stephen Hassan with another episode of the Influence Continuum. And I have with me uh, an old friend and colleague, Isaac Carmignani. Uh, Isaac, thanks for joining me. I really want my listeners to learn more about the Watchtower organization and the Jehovah's Witnesses. It's a huge group. I'm just going to read a short bio of you before we jump in for my listeners. You were raised in New York, in Brooklyn, which was their headquarters. I believe they moved to a compound in upstate New York. Uh, You were raised in it. You were indoctrinated about Armageddon from childhood, if that's correct. And you were corporally punished because they really believe you got to, you know, beat the crap out of your kids to discipline them properly and not let them have a normal childhood. That's my commentary. Sorry. Uh, you were baptized at, at age 11, which is blows my mind because we now know the frontal cortex matures at 25 or 26. But all this underage asking people to commit their lives uh, is absurd, in my opinion. You were a member in good standing uh, your whole life until you formally uh, dissociated yourself in 2007. Um, but in a, for 11 of those years, from 1995 to 2006, you were an elder in good standing for the Watchtower organization. And of course, there are many corporate entities that the Jehovah's Witnesses use to manage their affairs. Um, you came to realize there were a lot of problems with the Bible, even though you were raised to believe that you were actually following the Bible and were a good Christian and all other Christians were evil. All of the churches were verboten. You couldn't even go in to visit if your best friend was was inviting you. Uh, and I want to say also that you're very interesting. You, you uh, have been involved with political work involving yourself with education, two school boards, as well as on the board of pension fund in New York City. And you also have a career as a technologist with the federal government. So good for you. Uh, Isaac, uh, welcome to the Influence Continuum, my man. Thank you. It's so good to be here. It's a pleasure. Yeah, so um, I really want you to assume that my listeners don't know anything about this organization. Tell us about its founder, what year, a bit of its history, and then we'll dive down into some uh, hot-button topics that are particularly concerning of why we want to uh, alert the public about this group. Yes, definitely. Um, and thank you. So so Jehovah's Witnesses is, is the name that, that people associate with this organization. And like you mentioned, Steve, there's a lot of corporate entities that they have. So people see the name Watchtower. And, you know, if you look at some old movies that show the Brooklyn waterfront, you Mm. will see the name Watchtower. Now that sign says welcome (laughs) because they have gotten, they have sold their headquarters. But for many decades, it was iconic on the Brooklyn waterfront. Mm -hmm. Uh, The whole thing started in the 1880s. So Jehovah's Witnesses are a, uh, an outgrowth of the Bible students movement. So we have to go all the way back to Charles Russell, who was a pastor in Pennsylvania, who was friends with people who were friends with William Miller. So we go all the way back to the Millerite movement, 
and Pastor Russell started the Bible Students, which still exists. There are hmm. Bible Students all over the world, hmm. and they see Jehovah's Witnesses as a splinter group. Mm-hmm. So when Russell died in 1916, the legal counsel, the general counsel for what he had formed, the Watchtower Society, basically took over. And the Bible students will swear that it was a hostile takeover of the board of directors. Joseph Rutherford, or Judge Rutherford, became president, and he is the one that took the Bible students, or Jehovah's Witnesses, towards a centralized structure and Mm -hmm. brought the the corporate entities in. He changed their name to Jehovah's Witnesses, and he called this new structure a theocracy. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. what Jehovah's Witnesses are today is largely because of Joseph Rutherford, their second president. Interesting. Yep. And, 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 and was was um um was the was the history with the Millerites was that involved with Seventh Day Adventism or am I misremembering? Uh, I, I have a vague understanding of that. There was some connection. The main difference at the time, I think, was the Second Adventists believed that the Earth would be destroyed, and the subsequent restorationist Christians, millennial, millennial, millennialist restorationist Christians mm-hmm. believed that humans would live on earth mm-hmm. and you'd have a paradise earth. And this is still a, a signature teaching of Jehovah's Witnesses. Yeah, please take a minute because I know the 144,000 are going to heaven and the rest are stuck forever on the perfect paradise earth. That's correct. Uh, That's correct. 144,000. Uh-huh. And so there, there's uh, always uh, some some questions in the mind even of current Jehovah's Witnesses about this because the number that is going to heaven never seems to go down, even though people who say they're going to go to heaven pass on. Yeah, and there so, was a prophecy that no one would, you know, every uh, the have, uh, that the you know, the new world would happen before the last people died who were part yes. of the original, and then they changed new light was the buzz terms. And then, uh, and, and, and this is signature with them. So there was a time when 1874 was the year and everyone had to go to heaven before then, and then it became 1914 and 1975, and they were just known for, for so many dates. You'd need uh, to be an expert to track them all. Yeah, and... Uh, and so let's dive down a little bit more. So to be a Jehovah's Witness, you know, we've done a very thorough bite model of authoritarian control analysis. Can you run through, you know, how you can dress and what you can eat and some of the major restrictions? So that's interesting. So Jehovah's Witnesses, they see themselves as um, as everyday people, and in many respects, they are, unless they are serving in one of their headquarters or branch offices, and then it gets even more restrictive. But generally speaking, there's still dress code. Uh, so a Jehovah's Witness is going to uh, follow a very rigid um, program of Bible study, mm-hmm. of going to meetings, which went through the pandemic using video video conferencing. They are going to not get involved in anything that's related to 
aspects of what they call the world. So they're not going to be involved in any holidays, Christmas, Mother's Day, Father's Day, or votes or the, or vote. They will not vote. Do political stuff. No, yeah, no verboten. political, and that can even be local politics, like a union. Mm -hmm. They could be a member of a union, but they're not going to be a, a shop steward, let's say, or a union official, mm -hmm. because all of that is considered being part of the world, mm -hmm. and they have voted for God's kingdom. They're, you know, they're going to be well dressed. There's going to be dress code, of course, for their meetings and so on. But it's it's more about the beliefs that they have and the rituals that they will follow. There are certain things that are very very uh, uh, rigid, like not the, not taking of blood transfusions or certain blood products. Yeah, a lot of people have died because of a mistranslation from the Old Testament or the Torah about yes, they have dietary restrictions. Like Jews yeah. are not supposed to. Uh, eat uh, meat products with the blood still in it. So part right. of the koshering laws to drain the blood. But somehow they got in there. And it wasn't Russell. It was, was it that Rutherford? Was, that was a Rutherford, yes. Yeah, that was a later the, invention. And, and after, yes. That mis that, and they really mis misunderstand the scriptures, even though they say they know the Bible better than everyone else. They have their own translation, New World Translation, that every theologian that I know of says this is not even close to being accurate. Right. And, and so speaking of that, in 2013, they revised it again. Mm -hmm. And I found that interesting because as I looked at the 2013 version versus the 1984 version, there are word changes mm -hmm. which further validate their doctrinal structure. So even further away from the New yes. Testament, in other right. words. And and so that's how they, they have their own Bible in that respect. Also that they believe that they added the name Jehovah to the Old Testament. Yeah, so, so you know, Jews say that God's name is unspeakable, and there's the uh, yud heh vav -Hey, which is how they've come up with Jehovah, but Jews never use that. Don't think it's legitimate. If I may, Isaac, just comment a little bit more for the New World Translation piece. You know, I find it as an expert of cults uh, so fundamentally violating of informed consent when members knock on doors and say, we'd like to study the Bible with you, but fail to disclose this is not the same Bible as everyone else acknowledges is like a valid Bible. So yes. uh, to me, this is a very important uh, deception that robs the public of of really making a decision if they want to spend any time with members. Right, and and then for members, you, you, they now have taken that version as God's word. Mm -hmm. So now anything they insert into that, it's as if God said it. Right, and and, so and all legitimate translations were done by scholars with theological training and their names are in it uh, because they're responsible. But the Watchtower's version, nope. That's correct. And I found that as I was waking up to be so important that people who don't have an expertise in Hebrew or Greek or Aramaic mm -hmm. are translating Bibles. Yeah. The closest thing they had to a scholar was their 
president, their fourth president, Raymond, uh, I'm sorry, not Raymond Franz, but Frederick Franz, mm-hmm. his uncle, Raymond's uncle, we could talk about that. And, uh, and he was the closest they had to a scholar, mm-hmm. and he just knew a lot of languages, mm-hmm. but he was not an re- internationally recognized scholar by any by anyone so yeah so um so you're it's patriarchal you're supposed to marry within the group the husband is head of the household and that's rigid Mm -hmm. and that goes through the congregation structure as well women do not have authority Mm -hmm. of any kind and and marrying within, so if you marry outside, you're you're not marrying in the Lord. Mm. So they may not expel you for that, but it's going to be very difficult for a non-Jehovah's Witness spouse to understand all the restrictions. Right. So that's why they don't want it. Right. So um, I, I have to disclose, I've had clients over the years who married an ex-JW, and then when they discovered they were pregnant they announced to their spouse that they wouldn't get blood transfusions which flipped out Mm -hmm. you know the husbands and were like Mm -hmm. steve help you know birth is really dangerous and i want my kids to live and what are we gonna do yes yes and and they so the, the the blood doctrine is is so so interesting and so Dangerous, yeah, just dangerous because uh, you know they they base it on junk science, really. Yeah, because they they say you can't have whole blood, which practically nobody gives anymore. Mm. And then they ha- they break the blood into four components: plasma, platelets, white blood cells, and 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 there's a fourth. And so then you can have none of those. Mm. And then they complicate it by saying anything that's derived from fractional fractions of those four components, well, that becomes a decision you have to make. So now, as a Jehovah's Witness, you you kind of have to become an expert. Is erythropoietin you know, within my conscience to do. Hmm. And so a lot of Jehovah's Witnesses just say, this is too complicated, I'm not taking any blood. And so there's cancer treatments and other treatments that Jehovah's Witnesses do not take Hmm. because, and that has led to loss of life too. Yeah, it's horrible. And I become aware that there was a many, a very expensive uh, outreach indoctrination effort to doctors and hospitals wanting to explain the severity of trying to get anyone needing a blood transfusion to actually take one. So this is interesting because they fancy themselves blood treatment experts. And so they have groups within their structure called hospital liaison committees. Uh And the notion is if a Jehovah's Witness goes in the hospital and they find out, they will visit the person. And now you get the control coming in. And so they will meet with doctors, and they aim to point out, well, doctor, here, here's a treatment we've read about. Here's JAMA. Here's science journal, whatever, you know, peer-reviewed journals that back this up. And you, have you considered this with this patient? The Jehovah's Witnesses are required to carry a document, an advanced medical directive, Mm -hmm. that specifically is reviewed by the elders in their congregation and has to have as healthcare proxies either elders or Jehovah's Witnesses that will honor their blood policy and let those hospital 
elders in. But I think it's important for a medical professional, and, and a medical professional would have no way of knowing this, really, right. that that this patient is not a free person to make that decision exactly. that they say they have made. Exactly. And, uh, oh, you know, because I've been doing this work since uh, 76, and I want to credit Randall Waters for writing me after combating came out in yeah, 1988 saying, loved your book. How come you didn't mention the Jehovah's Witnesses to which I, you know, got him on the phone and said, why should I? And he's like, are you kidding me? I underlined the whole book. Come, come to LA and I'll teach you. And that began my education about this group. Cause I grew up in New York. So I was very familiar with the JWs, but I I just thought they were another Christian religion group like anything else. And I didn't right. realize the authoritarian cultic nature of this organization. I didn't understand the amount of psychological trauma put on people. I didn't understand the disfellowshipping or, you know, what Scientologists call disconnection or, you know, excommunication. Can you say something about that? And, and so that's interesting. And, and, uh, it, it, it's no wonder that uh, the average professional would not know because Jehovah's Witness leadership, they present well. Jehovah's Witnesses present well. They're taught to do that. They're right. taught to present well. They're taught to speak well. And so um, – and then they, 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 they have something where, where they, you know, they, they manipulate the information in such a way that they use wording that we will understand – as non-Jehovah's Witnesses to mean something, but for them it means something else. So the whole loaded language. Oh yeah, that's piece. cults one hundred and one. Yeah. And so you know, I I I speak to this. You know, there's something that's been this actively going on right now with them in Norway, where the Norwegian government took away their registration. As Meaning their group. tax exemption status or yeah. the equivalent. What, wow. what they do in Norway is they subsidize religious groups over a certain number of members, but you have to meet certain standards. Mm -hmm. And what they deregistered them on, they took away their subsidy because of the coercion and disfellowshipping and isolation of children. Mm -hmm. And then they deregistered them because of the broader issue that they found them to be violators of adult members' freedom of expression and right to freedom of religion. And I'm quoting from the translated opinion that they handed down. And so Watchtower is appealing this. But what's interesting in the Oslo case, and I bring this up because one can read it, you can go to their website and download it, and they go into the Watchtower publications to show that while they say one thing, they do another. Mm -hmm. And so it's easy to say, oh, our members can leave whenever they want. They can, they're making a free choice here. But then when you see the threat that they can be sentenced, and they use that word sentencing committee in one of yep. their publications that's quoted by the Norwegian government – you see that, no, there, there, there is no freedom there. Right, exactly. And um, I know Australia did a whole investigation into the Watchtower organization, yes. had their elders under oath. 
So the Australian Royal Commission case study number 29, for Mm. anyone who's looking that up, Mm -hmm. they did two weeks' worth of hearings. We're going to put links to uh, the blog when we publish it, so I'll ask your help to... uh, to put all the links in that we want to yes, add. They, and mind you, the, the, the Royal Commission was dealing with organizations that have problems with their policies as related to pedophiles. Mm. It was not focused on Jehovah's Witnesses. That's why there were case study 29. 1 through 28 was other, other organizations. I see. And so it just come to their attention and and they and they and they brought it out but what a case study in how they work their their counsel angus stewart made a magnificent job of sticking to the facts so the and, government's counsel yes, you're saying yes, not the jw's yes. counsel that's correct uh-huh. and he brought in high ranking members all the way to the governing body level mm-hmm yeah, explain the structure, and then we'll come back to the pedophile problem and Barbara Anderson. So, so the, the, it's a hierarchical, top-down structure. At the top sits anywhere from eight to eighteen men. Are they mostly. all white? They are mostly white. There's one African American member now oh. by the name of Sam Hurd. He's been there for about fifteen, twenty years now. Uh-huh. Other other than that, they're they're white men from around the world, mm-hmm. served in different branch offices and rose through the ranks. And they together officially now, they, they only said this recently, it used to be very vague, but they officially say that they are, and I'm using some jargon here out of scripture, the faithful and discreet slave, mm-hmm. which is basically God's uh, Christ's channel. To mm-hmm. humanity, so they take that spot and they govern. So unlike the Mormons, they don't have a living prophet that goes through the ranks and gets no. the uh, that mantle of the living no. prophet. And this is one of their arguments when they say we're not a cult. That's what they will say. If if you if someone says take me to your leader, then they say, well, our leader is. Jesus Christ, can you fly? Like yeah, I downloaded that. from their own website. And I, and I want to say, you know, they were very late to the internet. They realized they were losing yes. tons of people. And yes. then, so, but they said there, there's two reasons to know why they're not a cult. And and the first is uh, they're, they're a new or unorthodox religion uh, and because they're from the 1800s, they're not new. They leave out the unorthodox thing. And I just wanted to share with my my listeners an old textbook from a Christian theologian, Walter Martin, called Kingdom of the Cults. And um, I haven't used this book in decades, but we used to use it with people who were Christian who got recruited into the JWs to show how unscriptural the doctrine of the watchtower actually is. They they don't teach, you know, Jesus as God, the Trinity, the the all of the essential, you know, really Christian uh teachings. No. That that was a move on the part of Rutherford to make them different from the world. Uh-huh. So they he changed anything that was alike any other Christian group and, and differentiated them. Yeah, and Russell, I if I remember uh, not Russell, Rutherford did, used radio and was like a mass media 
Big time. So this is one thing that they have have done, and that was a Rutherford move. They they uh, they use technology, and this is why they ended up on the internet too. Mm-hmm. They'll use cutting edge tech, and this goes back to photodrama of creation, which was the Bible students, mm-hmm. where they linked uh, silent film with audio. Interesting to create alleged. Uh, they will say it was the first sound picture. With right. photodrama of creation. That's fascinating. I didn't realize that. But I want to, before we move on, the second criteria they put on their own website why they're not a cult is they don't have a living leader. Yes. That they just follow Jesus. And uh, this is where I differ from many other cult experts, quote unquote, uh, where I see uh, things written saying you need a living, charismatic le- leader to have a cult. I've never believed that. No, you don't. I say the bite model is the criteria, and you can have also ideological cults that have no personage, per se, that's held up as a model also. Yes, so, I, I would agree totally. And even in, in there, right? So so they have what in... in secular world, we would call the liberative body as a governing structure. But the truth of the matter is, is you still have leaders inside of that that are domineering. And, right. and so their presidents have tended to be like that until the death of uh, Ted Jarrett's. So, you know. So I want to I come back, if I may, to one of the most important, or at least timely and important subjects, which was the realization that the cult was protecting pedophiles on a massive international scale. Can you share how that, how we learned about that, and what's happened since, and lawsuits, etc.? So, so this is interesting. They, the, the whole thing came about gradually, and I think one of the things that aided tremendously and was probably the pivotal factor was they brought into their employee or into their inner circle, a young woman at the time by the name of Barbara Anderson. And women don't get that kind of access, but she got it. At headquarters, Bethel. At headquarters. And Mm -hmm. so she was researching their publications. Mm -hmm. And because of having that inner you know, circle access, she started to hear the stories and started to have correspondence with people who were having this problem. And it was brought to leadership attention. They started publishing articles about child abuse and how terrible a sin and a crime it is. And then all of that kind of got locked down. And Barbara walked away and started talking to the media and going all the way back to 2000, you know, when Dateline, there was a a special on Dateline regarding this. This has grown and exploded on Watchtower. But this was a list she discovered, I believe, was like 35,000 pedophiles, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Because they keep everything in writing. These people uh, who had been abused as children would complain to their parents. They would not go to the police. They would report it within house to the group. The group might go, naughty boy, or, you know, you shouldn't do that, and reassign the person so they can right. go on to abuse more people. Right. And and, and, then, I, and if I may yeah. just finish this one thought, because I, the public, I think, needs to hear this, that the 
the the cult says you need to have two people in the room observing a child being ab sexually abused for it to be real. In essence, yeah. because they have what they call the two witness rule, that's how they, if somebody's going to be sentenced and disfellowshipped for a sin, then there has to be two witnesses. So that pedophile is does this. crazy and so hard on all the victims for so many decades. Right. However, so many people have uh, been victimized that they're now realizing, hey, I was victimized by the same person. Uh, so there's two witnesses, not at the same moment of the same act, but there are multiple witnesses coming forward going, this is a bad person. And in some cases, they would use that logic and do something with the person, and in many cases, they would not. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you honestly that to this day, witnesses that I talk to, and almost everyone knows a woman who was abused, mm -hmm. or male, but it's tended to be girls, or they were abused themselves. It is so prevalent. Yeah, it's disgusting and horrifying. Um, so, um, and I know that there have been lawsuits by victims against the group. Talk about that a little bit, because I think so, that had something to do with them leaving their headquarters in Brooklyn and going to upstate New York. It may very well, even though there's there's something going on with them buying property in, in New York metro area again, I want to get to ah. But they, the current state of play of this is there are cases all over the United States. In fact, in Washington State right now, the legislatures, both houses in Washington State, are considering bills. They have bills in committee to require clergy to report cases of pedophilia. And this was brought to their attention by victims who filed and won civil cases in right. the state of Washington. That's Washington. Pennsylvania has had a grand jury going for years now. And late last year, they made nine arrests in this mm -hmm. grand jury investigation, probably more to come. New York State, we have the Child Victims Act. They settled several cases in the past few months mm -hmm. to the tune of millions of dollars. And I'm just scratching the surface. Utah, Montana, more than, than we can talk about here. Yeah. It is, it, you know, it is millions and millions of dollars to the point where they just formed a new LLC solely to pay the attorney bills. Mm. And they've hired the firms that have defended the Catholic Church on this issue. Interesting, but so they, they, they didn't doing... do so well, the Catholic Church. In terms no, of... they didn't. And I think the Archdiocese in Pennsylvania is bankrupt. So mm -hmm. will Watchtower go that way? Who knows? Um, yeah. Interesting with them, with that. So yeah. big, big problem. It's Massive. really, really critical. So I want to say that um, aside from my book, Combating Cult Mind Control, coming out in 1988, that didn't mention the Watchtower... So members were free, you know, to read it because they, why not know about the Moonies? We know that's mm -hmm. a cult, right? That's the version I read. Yeah. The, and, and, and what I was told is that aside from Raymond Franz, who was born in the cult and was on the governing body and left and, and wrote a book, Crisis of Conscience, more people have exited the Watchtower from reading Combating. 
uh, than anything else, which I'm very happy and delighted to know that my work is helping people. That said, I bought back the rights and updated it dramatically, and I did add uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses. So it may not, you may want to dig up the old edition with the two T's if you're listening to this and you have a loved one who's still in it. Um, but let's talk about uh, Raymond Franz a bit. And you uh, told me recently a governing body person has resigned with no explanation. So I can't say it's a resignation. What they announced was, as they did with Raymond Franz, that Anthony Morris III is no longer on the governing body. And then they pulled that off of their press release section of their website in any language that they had posted it. But it was announced at, at their headquarters and to their what they call their Bethel families, their branch offices. So it's true. And we, we wait to see where, where this is going to go. Uh, the last person who was no longer on the governing body was, of course, Raymond Franz. And if anyone wants to do a deep dive on this group, it's a little bit dated, but everything there is accurate in terms of in his book, Crisis of Conscience, where he describes what was going in that religion. And it's important to me, it was when I read it, and it is still to this day. It's not a gripe session about this group. This is data-driven information that he walked away with, with the documents showing all sorts of abuse of people. And we're talking where lives were lost. And, and I'm not going to drill down on this, but the Malawi and Mexico scandals and what happened in Africa in the 70s. That was about uh, draft cards, and if I remember right. correctly. Yes, but there was loss of life there. This was serious. And so he came forward with that. And what's interesting to me is, so they've just appointed two governing body members, and then this one is gone. And when Raymond came out, basically what he showed was the rules inside the governing body is you need a two-thirds majority to get rid of anyone and they would have needed those two in order to get rid of or to get rid of the person who's no longer there so whether they voted him out it's certainly possible there are other ways that he could have left we I, shall see i'd love to uh, i i'd love to believe at this early juncture that he was having a crisis of conscience oh i would love that and therefore may surface with some real details about, because it's really tough if you're a true believer, even if you're born in the group, even if you're corporally punished, even though the phobias of Armageddon and the failed prophecies, you live through all of that. At a certain point, people have to look at themselves in the mirror and, do, you know, is their conscience clean or are they just being a good corporate you know, a uh, person going along to get along or to protect their own retirement funds, maybe. Right, right. You know, the, the one reason why I said Ray's work is, is dated is, is incredible work, but I'm speaking from the standpoint of how Jehovah's Witnesses are taught, that they say, well, we changed since all of that. We, we, that was all changed, probably. It's different now. And they really don't know that, but they assume it because they assume the best of their leadership. Right. Not yeah. knowing what their leadership really is. Every cult, 
when they get caught doing criminal activities, etc., they say, oh, we've we've cleaned it up, we've gotten rid of the bad apples, we've changed. But unless the real structure, the authoritarian structure and the control of behavior, information, thoughts, and emotions are changed, um, it's not changed. No, no. Yeah. That's, that, that's exactly correct. And, uh, and, that, and that's what Watchtower has to this day. Yeah. And I, 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 have, to re, I have to just comment. I interviewed a former elder, I want to say in Italy. Um, uh, I could have my European country wrong, but he was an elder. And he was a major technology person in a Fortune 100 company, an elder, more than an elder, higher up. And he was describing how 1975 came and he was in charge, which was the major prophecy of when Armageddon would happen. And members are indoctrinated from birth that this is it, judgment day, everyone's going to be wiped out who aren't in good standing. And, um, and he didn't lose a beat, uh, he said at the time, although he had uh, people in his congregation that were like, I didn't plant crops, you know. I didn't. I didn't go get my, you know, education because why get a why learn a job and get a higher education, and uh, and he did wind up realizing, oh my God, you're right. This is really evil and unethical. But I wanted. I loved interviewing him because it shows how incredibly smart and accomplished he is in one area of his life. And simultaneously, he's teaching the world's coming to an end. (laughs) I find I find this amazing. And it's one of the things that Jehovah's Witnesses use in their own minds and sometimes publicly to show that, well, we're okay, right? Because how can you be a, a PhD in engineering or in medicine? You know, there are Jehovah's Witnesses that are everywhere in the sciences and and in the professional world. So then, well, this must be right. And, and that's not the case any more than someone who's professional could still be in an abusive relationship. And, and it's, it's just a compartmentalize, you know, very well. Yep. Or not well, depending on <laughs> how you look at this. Yep. So talk to me next, if you don't mind, about uh, disfellowshipping. I seem to remember people even being disfellowshipped for sending a birthday card to a non-member. Could or- happen. Or going to a church or a bar mitzvah or something. Jehovah's Witnesses are taught. There's a there's a couple of scriptures in the New Testament where someone who commits a grave sin is maybe sanctioned. That's probably too strong a word, even by the congregation. It's but those scriptures are taken. And they're made to justify a policy where there's a list of sins, and Jehovah's Witness elders have a manual that lists what the sins are and describe it. And it's not just fornication and you know things that Christians normally would not do. There are other things, too, like dissenting, causing divisions, this kind of thing. And if a person is guilty— of one of those things. Usually they will confess, but it might be that someone snitches on them. There will be a judicial committee of at least three elders. And if that person is not found repentant, 
they will be disfellowshipped. Yeah. And, and once and, they're disfellowshipped, that's it. And that's and it. and so people are not allowed to talk to their own mother, father, sister, brother, son, daughter, um, at all. That's correct. So and and this is what the Oslo government was calling out because that's a violation of human rights. It's a violation of freedom of religion, freedom of expression. And I think they need to be called out in those terms. Yes. Because the term disfellowshipping is not used in the secular world. So it's like, what, what is this? But the fact is that you lose family contacts. Now, they will say that if a person is a minor... Or even if they're not a minor, but they don't live in the home, they sh there should still be some contact for family business. Mm -hmm. But anyone who is a Jehovah's Witness knows that that's meaningless. Mm. Family business means when the person is about to die, they may get a call. Mm -hmm. There may be some contact, but there are many Jehovah's Witnesses who their sons, daughters, parents have died. And months later, years later, especially pre-internet days, then they found out yeah. from a friend, from and, somebody in the neighborhood. And like so many other major religious groups, their uh, Watchtower is homophobic. Am I correct about yes. that? So talk yes. to us about that. So any 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 sin and certainly homosexuals are not allowed in the religion. Um, they so when, they when you call say, it a sin to be yes, gay. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Men who lie with men will not inherit God's kingdom. Quote from the New World Translation. So therefore, any any person like this is there is no chances there is no uh, well okay you're you're not an elder but nevertheless you're in the congregation you are immediately shunned mm -hmm. immediately once that's found out yeah and if I'm not mistaken there's a high rate of depression anxiety and yes. even suicidality yes. yes and you you see this when you're inside and you know i i went as a young person and got outside regular normal cognitive behavioral therapy so that i could learn how to live mm. and as i started going that direction i could see just how many problems people were having in the congregation mm-hmm and they, they don't know what it's stemming from because of all the cognitive dissonance that they're experiencing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So they will just attribute it to, well, I'm not studying the Bible enough. I'm not doing God's will enough. I'm not dedicating myself enough. I'm not, I'm not putting in enough hours. Right. And so they will work harder, and they will lose more sleep, and they will hurt themselves more, mm -hmm. and they will hurt their finances more. Yep. And so they'll go further down into depression. And people are expected to be out a certain number of hours a month to be considered a publisher, or what's the latest on that? They keep lowering it, yeah. and they've lowered it down to as low as 15 minutes a month in certain circumstances, wow. like senior citizens. But it doesn't change that the culture is that you need at least 10 hours a month. Mm-hmm. And in fact, what they would do is they would set Jehovah's Witnesses competing with one another. So they would publish the average number of hours for, say, the U.S., United States. Mm -hmm. If that was 10 hours a month, then your elders would tell you, well, you have to at least do 10 hours a month mm -hmm. because that's what everybody else is doing. Mm -hmm. 
So, and, and usually it's a lot more. And if they pioneer, then they put more hours in. And while they keep changing the standards, it's still a lot. So talk about pioneering. What is involved with that program? So pioneering is, is what they call their full-time ministry. It's where a person devotes a certain number of hours to recruiting. Their, 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 their ministry. So basically recruiting. Uh -huh. and, and they did a lot of door-to-door, -door, less so now. It, at one point, it was 150 hours. Then they brought it down to 100, then to 90. And now they have some other number. That's a little bit lower than 90 hours a month. Mm -hmm. it, it, leads, it led a lot of young people. And this is what I was groomed to do, was when you leave high school, right. you become a pioneer and you put 90 hours a month in the ministry and recruit. Mm -hmm. And then you work part-time to earn a living. Right. And um, I'm just... I just want to double check, but don't they believe in the hum teaching also? Aren't they pretty racist until more recent years, or am I misremembering? They were very racist in the early years, and they've, they had the thinking that there are three races coming from Noah's three sons. and Like the Moniz? Yes, and when America was dealing with segregation in the South, congregations were segregated. Hmm. And nowadays, what you'll see more is that Jehovah's Witness prohibitions, to a certain extent, break down along socioeconomic lines. Mm -hmm. And I saw this in New York City, being in congregations in the inner city in Brooklyn, and then in Queens, Astoria, where yep. it's different uh, socioeconomic. And there were a lot of parties in Queens and go out to clubs and dance. And in Brooklyn, it'd be like, no, you don't do that. Mm -hmm. Those Queens brothers, something's wrong with them. That's yeah, that's the, me from Queens. Let's party. Go. But, you know, in the Moonies, the East Coast was much more orthodox than the West Coast. The West Coast could party and women and men could hug each other and even kiss on the cheek. And it was totally verboten for the. Oh, yeah, we would Coast. have a saying: the further away you get from headquarters, yeah, the the less spiritual they become. Yep, that's how we saw it in the, in the states here. Yep. Yeah. So, talk to me about the phenomenon of uh, psychologically out. I mean, excuse me, physically in and and mentally, mentally out. out. P mode. P mode. P mode. I have a lot of friends who are P mode, and. You realize what's wrong. Maybe you read Steve Hassan's book, or you you read the Bible without um, without reading the Watchtower publications along with it, so that you didn't contextualize it using those those standards. Yeah. However, it is you, or you had something happen. You lost your child, or whatever, and physically you cannot leave because either you want to stay in to affect change, or if you leave, you would lose all your family, and that's probably the most common one. You disappoint your parents if you're second, third generation, and you would lose your wife, your children. The divorce comes after you leave. There's almost a given that you will be divorced. Once you leave the religion, so they don't allow mixed ma faith marriages per the, se. No, because the worst sin in there is apostasy. Go rob some banks, go kill people, be a pedophile. We'll work with you. But if you're an apostate, if you leave, that's it. So talk about parental alienation. I think they even had a guidebook for 
her parents who had uh you know their loved one you know left the group and so it, it's if the child is over 18 and they're disfellowshipped you're supposed to throw them out of the house mm -hmm. not saying everybody does that but that is what's supposed to happen and it happens many times mm -hmm. and even if you're younger than 18 and this is how they started having trouble in norway is they will socially alienate the child so that child cannot be with their friends that are Jehovah's Witnesses. And being that the only friends they're supposed to have are Jehovah's Witnesses, then there's no friendship. Right. In some cases, children have been put in their room and the plate of food put at the door, and they're in their room without their phone, without their computer for months. Right. But what, what happens in the case of a... Jehovah's Witness couple, the husband says, this isn't true. I don't want to do this anymore. They have three underage kids. What's likely to happen? The, the, what's likely to happen is the divorce is coming and they're going to end up in the system of whatever state they live in for custody. And then, and, and so your handbook, so Watchtower is, I don't think they're doing this anymore, but for a long time, if you told your elders, look, I'm going to divorce this person because of this, they had a packet that they would give to that believing Jehovah's Witness. To give to their lawyer. To give to their lawyer and to tell whatever stories were needed to retain custody of those children. To keep them in the group, basically. Keep them in the group. And That's so correct. that included, because I've had cases over the decades, uh, making up stories that daddy sexually abused little Johnny. Yes, yes. And you see, they're not going to officially sanction that, but Jehovah's Witnesses will think, I need to do whatever it takes to follow God. And so they take the scripture that is well known to Christians out of the book of Acts, when the, Peter is talking to the authorities, and he says, we must obey God as ruler rather than man. And so that means, well, God is ruler. Yeah, and the ends I, justify the means is what absolutely. it really is. is the, absolutely. The, the cult 101 playbook is we are above human laws, and we know best. And so this is important for medical professionals, for legal professionals to appreciate. They can go under oath. They don't respect that oath. It's given by a human. Mm. So therefore, they will lie under oath. Mm -hmm. That's simple. That's really important. Yeah, thanks for mentioning that. So there's about what eight eight and a half million people involved with this cult about around that. the world, worldwide, and not too much in China or the Middle East, but pretty much everywhere else. Mm -hmm. And I'm remembering an ex-member that we met together, Amber Scora, who was in China, not allowed to be public, but recruiting for the cult. You know, yes. say a few words about Amber and her book. So, so, so Amber is amazing, and and when I read Amber's book, and I recommend that recommend her book. What's the name so, of it again? Oh, you, you know, I have to Google this as, okay. as much as I loved it, and I mean, I, I loved that was it a too. page turner. It was a page turner. Yeah. she's doing so well down in Brooklyn. Good. Amber's story reminded me of when I was a little boy. There were two missionaries. There used to be missionaries in China of Jehovah's Witnesses, and right. one was named Stanley Jones, and the other was Harold King. And when they were finally released by the Chinese government, they rented Yankee Stadium 
so that we could hear their story. I was just a little kid. Mm-hmm. And then we didn't hear much about China. And then there's Amber's book. So what was happening is people like Amber would go on their own, on their own dime to China. And it was in China that she started to wake up. Now, this is very interesting because Jehovah's Witnesses uh, believe they need to preach to people from every nation. So they will go and study foreign languages to do so. But what happens when you study a foreign language, you're not getting the indoctrination anymore because there's a learning curve on this before you can understand all the the terminology. So this helped Amber to wake up, coupled with the fact that she's a humble person who is going into a land that is non-Christian and basically telling them that all their belief, going back centuries, well, no, 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 that's not how it works. It was some person named Jesus and this Bible basically deny your history. Yep. And she found she couldn't do that. Yep. I I looked it it up quickly. It's called uh, Leaving the Witness, The End of the World as She Knew It Upon Losing Her Religion. What a correct title. Yep. The World uh, as She Knew It. I'll just add a personal note that my recollection is that she was teaching... Uh, Westerners, how to do business in China. So she had a very popular, I think, podcast or something. Yeah. And there was a, a man, I think, from Los Angeles who had read Combating, who started engaging with her, hmm. uh, socially interacting with her. And it led to her epiphany that, you know what? Um, this is a version of Chinese communist thought reform. It's not healthy. It comes full circle. <laughs> That's so good to hear. I, I forgot that detail. But yeah, wow. Yeah, and 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 more and more former members are speaking out. And uh, uh, I, I recently um, spoke with a woman named Jacqueline Johnson, who is a mental health professional, ex-JW, who's now the director of the International Cultic Studies Association Is that organization. So? Yeah, wow. she just took over a few months ago. I'm looking forward to meeting her at their conference in Louisville uh, at the uh, end of June, beginning of July of this year. So it's going to be, the first for me, it's just revelatory to have a former member, head of a counter-cult you know, education that program. Is- Wonderful news. I'm going to have to find a way to Louisville. (laughs) Uh, I'm happy to introduce you to her as well. I I, I haven't met her yet, but I really am impressed with her. But the the shared experience, you see, Watchtower, and I have have friends. I have a very good friend who is Pentecostal. We were talking about this just the other night. Uh The centralized structure of Watchtower is to the point where you say the same words to describe the same thing. Yeah, loaded language. Yes, because they they call it the one pure language. Yeah. So, you know, ha, it's ha, the ha, shared ha. experience is amazing. Ha, ha, ha. You know, so you were an elder. So that means um, you got to hear a lot of stories of people that you, you know, were looking up to you and such. Talk to me about the attitude to little children who maybe were brought to kingdom halls and were making noise. That's interesting. And I tried so hard and somewhat successfully in my own congregation to push back. Mm. The congregation meetings, you could hear a pin drop. Mm. 
it is that quiet. Everything is coming from the, the stage. That's it. So noisy children, we, we don't want them. So what they do is they have rooms in the back that are kind of soundproofed that you can take your kids in there. But then the the local leadership will look in those rooms. They have windows where you could see the main stage. And so you can also see what's going on in those rooms. So when parents bring toys and their kid is going to run around on the floor and play, that's not allowed. The child is still you, – you want to take your child back into the main room. So you want your child to sit and listen. And for me – so so my mom, who who is is a wonderful human being, does everything that she does – to its best mm. that describes her so when she became a jehovah's witness her son was going to pay attention so she sat right in the front row never went to the back and if i did anything that was disruptive i got ear pinched pulled something some corporal thing to shut me up and if i cried what i would get at home would have been way worse I've heard, I've heard many times from many different people, uh, including belt whippings, paddling. Yes, I had plenty of them. Belt my whippings? Mom, yes. Oh, my goodness. I even wrote a blog on this that one day I might turn into a chapter in a book just, mm. just on this. In fairness, you know, my mom looks back now and says, what was I doing? Mm. Right? Because now she realizes the control that she was under. Yeah. You know? Um, and, and that did not happen with my brother, but it happened with me. Yeah, but it's the opposite of good parenting to let kids be kids. Kids learn by socialization and playing games and laughing, yeah. etc. And cults like the Watchtower want little adults you know, yes. in child bodies. Absolutely correct. Little adults, you could, couldn't say it better. Yeah. That's, that's uh, what they produce. Obedience and dependency is the, the modeled, you know, ideal membership. Yes. And you see, so that presents to professionals who don't know that that's the vector for that kind of behavior. Mm -hmm. When those kids go to school and they're well-behaved, mm -hmm. the teachers love them. But what they don't know is the abuse that's leading those children to be that way yeah and then i can't i can't end this interview with you i was astounded when i saw the kinds of fear and phobia indoctrination done to little kids these horrific videos and picture books with these incredibly scary images oh i was so terrified of persecution so some of the things I mentioned in Malawi and in other countries, even what's happening now in Russia, where governments are authoritarian and Jehovah's yeah. Witnesses are physically abused, killed, thrown in jail. It's I was terrified horrible. Of that. I'm against yes. what Russia does to all people, including mind control cultists. Right. But you see, this this leaves you terrified. It took a long time for me to appreciate, you know, that's never going to happen in the United States. It's never going to happen in Britain, France. This is never going to happen to me. I actually had to process that and never telling a therapist because I was a Jehovah's Witness, but using what I was being taught as in therapy and, and looking at the Bible and saying, wait a minute, this doesn't track. So you mean you were seeing a therapist and never told them that you were in a cult? I never did. Talk, talk about why not. 
you're embarrassed. Uh, first, of, first of all, I didn't think I was in a cult. Right, that's a good <laughs> right? point. Yeah. So, so, but by the same token, I think when I when I realized it was a cult, now I was also getting my head straight. So I wasn't in therapy. <laughs> uh-huh. But I will say this: for many years, I was terrified. I had a daily news reporter that was doing a lot of school board stuff with. And so I was getting interviewed and she had Googled me and she asked me, by the way, Isaac, were you ever in a cult? And now I'm like, oh my goodness. I never brought these two sides of my life together. Yep. But she already knows and it's true and we have a rapport. So then I just talked about it. And then I didn't talk about it again. It took some years still for me to feel comfortable and your work, mm. clearly, and people like you who speak to this now, that now I'm the opposite. You know, right. I'll explain it right. to people, you know. But yeah, so you would never tell your therapist. <laughs> yeah. And if you even went to therapy, I was unique in that respect. Yeah, I was going to say that's, that's, that's unique as well. But I also want to say that I see, you know, JWs out you know, proselytizing sometimes at airports, they're in a little sequestered area or near a bus station or some other public uh, place. I, I remember pulling over to go to a rest stop in upstate New York, and there were was a couple with a signboard right there. With yeah, JW. especially nowadays. JW.org. But I always try to go over and say hello and introduce myself and be warm to them. And then I'll often just mention, you know, I'm just curious if you ever heard of the Moonies and, oh, what's that? And then again, thing about, well, you know, it, there was a guy who claimed to be better than Jesus and he was going to bring about the end of the world and everyone would be a good Moonie and the mass weddings. Just to try to sow a few seeds. And depending on their receptivity, I'd ask them, so what do you think about Raymond Franz and the, his book, The Crisis of Conscience? Hmm. And they universally have no idea what I'm talking yeah. about. And then I say, well, he was born and raised a, a, a devout you know, Jehovah's Witness who went all the way to the governing body and then had realized that he would prefer to follow Jesus and the Bible and had and left, and they look like they have smoke coming out of their ears. Yeah, because now he's an apostate, but but they want to convert you, so they can't just knock what you're saying. So right, it's... but I'm friendly, <laughs> I'm warm, I'm just, you know, in, because now they're online. So that's the thing that authoritarian cults are having such struggles with, how to yes. prevent yes. human curiosity, because yeah. I really believe deep yes. down inside, people know there's something dramatically wrong. And so, see, so this is interesting. If you live in their branch offices, their IT blocks those sites and keywords. They they blacklist on I didn't their routers, know that. and that I've been told authoritatively. So that's inside. So there's total information control there. Yeah. But then, of course, the person has a smartphone, and they could go on on their plan that way. But then there's the phobia of not going to sites like that. Mm -hmm. When I got Ray Franz's books, I was traveling on business and had the books delivered to the hotel. Uh And I read them away away for, and then actually threw the books out. Right. Because if I brought them home, 
this is why I don't have a hard copy. Uh huh. <laughs> you know? so interesting. Yep. That's what it took. Yep. For me. So I I'm I'm gonna wrap up and ask you for final thoughts, but I just want to do a shout out to Kimmy and Mark O'Donnell for all of their incredible work. What a great um, couple! And Mark was John Redwood. He was undercover for a really long time, feeding yes. information out. Uh, and uh, I think the Atlantic magazine did a whole profile story and there was a documentary about their good work kimmy helped me with my website mark and i've done a few cases as you and i have done right. some cases as well so thank you for that uh for all your good work isaac uh but the last words are yours what do you want my <laughs> listeners to uh to um to know and think about as we wrap wow up? yeah you know it, it's um <clears throat> Watchtower, Jehovah's Witnesses, they're, they're, the people, the people are good people that are trapped. Yes. Whether they know it or not. In a group that uses a model that basically gets people to think that they're learning the Bible, but then there's a whole bunch of other things that come with that. Mm -hmm. And so if you have to deal with them professionally, you need to understand that they're they're not able to fully uh, listen to their own authentic selves. Right. It may be buried in there. It is buried in there, but they're not able to listen to it. Right. But don't but don't but don't shun them because what you say might help them later on. And if if you're in a setting where you know, like, and I think about the medical setting here. Yes, you may need to have them alone. Yeah, before they can really express themselves. Yeah, and you might become their advocate, right? Yeah. So I, I seem to remember doing a blog with about a young a JW who died in childbirth, and she was surrounded by the cult members who you know, to block out the family members and friends who are saying, save your lives, you know, don't let your child not have a mother uh, growing up. But she was uh, unfortunately uh, too indoctrinated. Uh, yeah, you, you don't want to dismiss out of hand when they say, well, we're free to make our own decisions. If it's a teacher or a guidance counselor, or you're in a school, and you have a child that doesn't want to go to college, you may want to dig that up a little bit don't just assume that they're going to go a alternate career pathway they may want to be a scientist i did okay yeah um, kimmy wanted to get a master's and doctorate but being a woman and the end of the world is happening you, you don't want to waste time on an education right. if you're not going to be around to use it but most if not all jehovah's witnesses have doubts yeah. They know something is wrong because it doesn't track with the world they live in. Yes. And so don't just assume, oh, they're diehard. They're going to go and, and proselytize. That yep. person may be your next, you know, Albert Einstein, if they could, that can be brought out, you know, yeah. out of them where they could go to school. So, you know. Yeah, you bring up another fundamentally important point, which is some of our brightest people on the planet are in mind control cults and have not been given the, the encouragement to develop their gifts. And anyone who, who, who doubts that, um, there, there are stories like uh, Michael Jackson was a Jehovah's Witness. Serena Williams is a Jehovah's Witness. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes those groups 
produce very hardworking people. Yeah, Prince also, wasn't he? Prince was a Jehovah's Witness. There was some rumor that his, his passing prematurely had to do with his not getting surgery because of the blood issue. Oh, boy. Something that kind of got squashed um, when when he tragically passed. Yeah. But he was a Jehovah's Witness, yes. Terrible. But we do want to let people know there are many ex JWs and there are, you know, meetup groups in New York and all around the world. There are Facebook yes. groups and Reddit groups yes. and other ways. You're not alone if you're having questions or doubts. You can use an anonymous Gmail account yeah. and lurk around. I'm available. I respond to emails. I'm my Twitter feed at Isaac Carmignani, all one word. Right. And uh, in fact, there on, on the pinned, my pinned tweet relates to my daughter. Mm. who is still a Jehovah's Witness, who is somewhere, I don't know where, I think um, I might, sorry. but I don't. But, um, sorry, but, the and, alienation. And that's because of the shunning. Yeah, that yeah. alienation is toxic. Yeah. And no. against the spirit of, of religion, and in my totally. opinion of God, God's about love, not about totally. fear and control. That's it. And dependency. It. So I want to thank you. For all your good work, I, I know that you've been helping people exit other groups like yes. extremist uh, Jewish, uh, yes, Orthodox that here in the communities city and yep. other groups that and and the thing is you can see it in another group so much faster than you can see it in your own. Yes, Jehovah's Witnesses call these other groups cults. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's always valuable to get yeah. that bigger perspective that yes. you know it's it's not you, yes. you're not alone. There's a bigger I'm very pattern. big on that. Yeah. They they all play out of the same playbook, which is what I like about the bite model because that's the fundamental when you strip all the loaded language out, that's what you're dealing with. Yeah. Exactly. So thank you very much. And uh, we're going to wrap up now. And and my listeners, uh, we're going to do a blog and post this video. Uh, and we'll ha have a whole bunch of resource links. And hopefully this man who's off the governing body is going to go public and we can see I would love to see something like that. That, that well. would be extraordinary and wonderful. So thank you again, Isaac. Yes. Take care. All right. Okay. Bye. That's it for today's episode of The Influence Continuum. I've been your host, Dr. Stephen Hassan. Theme music for the podcast is by Nasser Malik. To keep up to date with me and happenings that I think are important, please visit my website at freedomofmind.com. There you'll find in-depth articles about cults, mind control, and other relevant topics. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at cultexpert. If you want to develop a comprehensive understanding of these topics, I highly recommend my books, Combating Cult Mind Control, Freedom of Mind, and The Cult of Trump, in that order. These books are a culmination of 45-plus years of experience and will really help you grasp the complex web of undue influence. I have also launched a new nine-hour online course for anyone interested in a deep dive into issues related to recovering from undue influence in all forms. While this course is designed for clinicians, everyone can benefit. If you're a former member, I congratulate you for your bravery. 
and invite you to use the hashtag IGOTOUT and join our online community at IGOTOUT.org. Remember, love is stronger than mind control. And thanks for listening.